Good morning. Uh, I cannot tell you guys how excited I am to be here right now. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Adam McIntyre, and I work at a church in Spring called Faith Bridge Church. Uh, however, um, I always love coming back to FCQ because uh, this was my home. It feels like coming back home for me when I come here. Um, so for those of you who don't know who I am, uh, this was my first true church home uh, a, a while back, uh, over four years ago, actually. Um, I was discipled here. I met my wife, Kathleen, at a Bible study that uh, Mike attended and that was held at Chris Henderson's house uh, way back when I was 19. Um, I played guitar in the band uh, for a long time. I recorded two CDs with Chris and Wait for Rain. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I uh, had my first taste of youth ministry here. I was the youth leader for Collide for a while. Uh, the youth group, I don't know, if it, is it still called Collide? Nope. Okay, well, that's gone too. Uh, <coughs> bummer. Um, but uh, this, this place has a very special place in my heart. Um, and when my wife and I had to leave uh, over four years ago now, it was one of the most difficult experiences that we've had to go through because we had to leave our family. We had to leave our community, and um, it was here where Catherine and I learned what church is supposed to look like, uh, the way that everyone loved, uh, supported one another, served one another. Uh, I can honestly say that um, this church produced disciples out of Kathleen and I, um, and one of the most important life-changing realities that I learned in my time here was uh, I learned about God's heart for the least of these, um, for the broken, the hurting, the oppressed. Uh, I had attended church my whole life, um, but in 20 years of attending church, I had never once learned about God's heart for the least of these. I didn't learn that until I came here, and it had a profound impact on my life and on my wife's life. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about God's heart for the least of these um, and what he desires uh, out of us um, in our love and support of the least of these. So, uh, a little over three years ago, my wife and I were newlyweds, freshly married, and we, I had just gotten the job in Spring, Texas uh, at Faith Bridge Church, and so we moved up there, and we moved into our first apartment uh, together as a newly married couple. And at the time, we thought this apartment was pretty sweet, and we thought it was in a pretty awesome area, uh, we quickly found out that the apartment that we moved into was in an incredibly shady area, uh, and it was very dangerous where we lived. Uh, we, if you know the spring area at all, we lived right on the corner of 1960 and T.C. Jester, and uh, we actually lived directly behind a Walmart. The apartment complex was right behind a Walmart, and about a month after we'd been living there, I turned on the news, and uh, there's a reporter, and she was live, uh, and she was like... Uh, I can't remember her name. She's like, I'm live here in the Walmart parking lot on the corner of T.C. Jester in 1960 where a man has just been shot three times. And I remember thinking, wait, T.C. Jester? That's right there. That's right, that's right next to where I live. Uh, a man was just shot there? What? Uh, and so I turned to Kathleen. I said, new rule. Uh, we can't go to Walmart after dark. Uh, or ever, really. Let's just go. Let's drive. Let's just be safe. You know, you never know. Uh, but we just, right after we started living there, just started seeing... Um, just the poverty that surrounded us, um, and we, we saw so many drug deals go down, uh, way more than I cared to count, 
And uh, we actually learned that that street, 1960 that we lived on, is one of the central hubs for human trafficking in Houston. Um, it's one of the most densely populated, like almost every other business that you see that has blacked out windows or whatever, that's probably um, a place where human trafficking is happening. And so that's the kind of neighborhood that we lived in. And so one day I come home from work, from work and I walk in the door and there on our kitchen counter is a strange cell phone that I had never seen before. And it was plugged in and it was charging. So I see it and uh, I know it's not mine, I know it's not Kathleen, so I, I call it to Kathleen. Hey Kathleen, whose phone is this sitting on our kitchen counter? <laughs> and she yells back, it's Kyle's. Oh, okay. Uh, why is Kyle's phone in our kitchen? Also, who is Kyle? <laughs> right? Like, I had no idea who this guy was. <clears throat> um, and she goes, Kyle is one of those guys that we always see at the corner by the Walmart. Oh, you mean one of the homeless people that we see on the corner by the Walmart? Yeah. Great. Um, why do you have Kyle's phone? Oh, I was charging it for him. Obviously, he has no place to charge it, so I offered to charge it for him. Um, okay, follow-up question. Uh, how do you know Kyle? Well, we have lunch together. Oh, you have lunch together. Okay, just a couple more questions. Uh, <laughs> where are you having these lunches? Uh, is it just you and Kyle having these lunches? And are you trying to get kidnapped by homeless people, right? That's immediately what I start thinking is that Kathleen is going to be taken away by these homeless people. And I start running through all these terrible scenarios in my head. And I'm freaking out because I have no particular set of skills to handle this kind of situation, right? If she does get uh, taken. And I realize I've been watching way too many Liam Neeson movies at the time. And uh, probably should stop watching those. Um, But I was legitimately upset and afraid. And I was angry at the time, because I'm just thinking, what would have happened if he decided to take you and I wouldn't know where you went? I wouldn't know how to get a hold of you. I wouldn't know what to do from there. And so she could see that I'm running through all these terrible scenarios in my head, very unrealistic, but still terrible scenarios in my head. And she can see that I'm getting progressively more and more angry. And so she's like, Adam, calm down. Don't be ridiculous. Everything's fine. And she's like, first off, I'm not having lunch with just Kyle. All right, I'm having lunch with Kyle, Tex, and Amy. Found out that Tex and Amy were also homeless. Uh, so that didn't make me feel very much better. Um, and she's like, uh, and, she's like and, they're, and they're wonderful people. Like, they truly are amazing people. And so she b- begins to tell me how she came across Kyle, Tex, and Amy. One day, or that day, she was driving, and she saw them on the corner, and she decided, I'm going to buy them lunch. So she goes to McDonald's or something, and she buys them lunch. And she drives back. And she decides, I'm going to actually have lunch with them. And so she parks her car next to Kyle's car. Uh, Kyle did have a car. It didn't really work. And it was also their home for the time being. All three of them lived in this car. So she pulled up next to Kyle's car. She got out, and she ends up having lunch with all three of them for over two hours that day. And she starts to tell me all these interesting, amazing things about Kyle, Tex, and Amy. Kyle, it turns out, used to live in Colorado where he was a civil engineer. Um, and uh, he used to work in Colorado for a long time doing that, but then he got, uh, he got neuropathy, and, uh, and so his legs were just in constant pain all the time, excruciating pain that was almost unbearable. Um, so as a result, he fell into drug addiction. Um, and then Tex and Amy, they both uh, were, they were in the corporate business world. They, they had corporate jobs. They had five kids. Tex used to wear a suit and tie to work every day. Um, and yet there they were 
And so I'm learning all these amazing things about Kyle texting Amy, and, but she could still tell that I, I was pretty uneasy about the situation. And so she said, you know what, actually I need to bring Kyle his phone back. Would you like to come with me and you can meet all of them? And so I said, yes, absolutely. Mostly uh, t- for protection and so I can investigate the situation, see what's going on there. So we get in the car and we drive the minute it takes to get to the corner. And we park next to Kyle's car and uh, I immediately begin scanning the situation, right? And I'm looking for anything uh, suspicious, right? Drugs, alcohol, weapons, needles, anything that would really justify my feelings of anger and fear. What I saw instead were three people, Kytex and Amy, and they just looked tired and broken. Um, They looked like the world had just beaten them up and cast them out. Um, Whether by their own doing or by bad luck or by a mixture of the two, I was looking at the least of these. The ones that the world speeds by without giving a second glance. Uh, Or if they do pay attention to them, it's usually with fear um, or suspicion or annoyance. Right? These were the people that when I was in the car with my friends and I would see them, I would say, why don't they just get a job? Why don't they just clean up their act? Right? I'm not going to give them money. They're going to spend it on alcohol or drugs or something. Right? These were the shamed, the marginalized, the least of these. And they had names. Kyle, Tex, and Amy. And they were broken. And they were tired. And the world was passing them by. But then, Kathleen got out of the car. And I'll never forget the look on all three of their faces as soon as they saw Kathleen. Uh, The best way that I can describe it is to use the words of St. Therese, in which just the sight of Kathleen was enough to make their sad souls bloom. Right? They looked so downtrodden beforehand, but as soon as they saw Kathleen, hope and joy just lit up their faces. And Amy ran over and gave Kathleen a big hug. And Tex and Kyle, they're both so injured, but they hobbled their best over to give her a handshake. Um, And then Kathleen introduces me to all three of them. And I shake their hands and introduce myself. And we talk for a little bit, not for very long, um, just for long enough for me to get a sense of who they were um, so I could feel comfortable with the situation. And so a few minutes later, uh, Kyle or Kathleen gave Kyle his phone back and they made plans to have lunch again. And then uh, I shook their hands and said goodbye and we got in the car and left. And as soon as we got in the car, Kathleen looked so excited. She turns to me and she goes, so what did you think? Did you like them? Of course I liked them. Yeah, of course. They were, they were wonderful people. You were right. I had nothing to worry about. Right? Um, and then I asked her a question, which looking back, I think I already knew the answer to it. Um, but I looked at Kathleen and I said, so what made you decide to stop and have lunch with them the way that you did? And she looked kind of puzzled at the question. Uh, and she just looks at me and she's like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Now, uh, I should tell you that um, I, I don't pride myself on many things at all. Uh, I do pride myself on my, on my love for theology. I absolutely love studying theology. I was a terrible student in school. Awful. One of the worst. Um, but, uh, and I'm stupid about most things on the planet. But I absolutely love theology. I love studying it. I love studying the original languages. I love talking theology, debating theology. I absolutely love it. But in that moment, Kathleen demonstrated a deeper knowledge of the gospel 
then all of my years of studying, my very expensive degree, all of the books on my bookshelf could afford me. Right? I understood the gospel. But Kathleen, she was out there experiencing it for herself. And um, so what do I mean by gospel? What do I mean when I, when I say the word gospel? Uh, I mean the good news that Jesus announces at the very beginning of his ministry in Mark 1. Y'all been going through this Mark series, so this should be relatively fresh in your mind. He shows up on the scene and he immediately announces the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news of the gospel. So this salvation, this rescue, this redemption, this renewal that you've been waiting for for so long, it's here. It's finally here. Right? I am the king and I am bringing the kingdom. Heaven is breaking into earth. Right? And so what does this kingdom of God look like? Um, if you turn with me to Luke 4, 18 through 19, we're going to read about it. Um, so in this passage, Jesus is in the synagogue and they had just invited him up to read from the scroll. And this particular reading, uh, this particular scroll was Isaiah 61 which was an incredibly famous Jewish text. Most of the people in the synagogue would probably know it by heart, or they would know it very well. And so they immediately knew what Jesus was reading. Um, so Luke 4, 18 through 19. Here we go. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this passage in particular is referring to the Jewish notion of the Jubilee, uh, which is this idea that one day all balance is going to be restored to creation, right? All things are going to be made new, all debts are going to be forgiven, all slaves are going to be set free, right? And justice is finally going to be restored in God's creation. That's the idea of the Jubilee. And this is something that the Jewish people have been waiting for for a very, very, very long time. And they've been hoping for it and praying for it for a very, very, very long time. And what Jesus says next absolutely blew all of their minds. Let's uh, go to verse 20. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Right? So this jubilee, this jubilee that you've been waiting for for so long, that you've been praying for, that you've been hoping for, it's coming true. It's happening right before your eyes, right here, right now. Restoration, renewal, it's happening right now. Rescue, that's what I'm here for. Right? I am the king, I am bringing the kingdom. Right? Uh, the poor who are always at the bottom, who are marginalized, who are always looked down upon, who only get bad news, I have come to give them good news. The captives who don't have their own identity, who are seen as property and who is treated as such, I have come to set them free. The blind, the hurting, the sick, the broken, I have come to heal them, right? Those who are oppressed, who just feel pinned down by mankind or by systems or whatever it is, I have come to set them free as well. Jesus is essentially saying here, I have come to rid my creation of all the things that don't belong here. Right? If you look at the course of Jesus' ministry, he's doing that constantly. What happens anytime he comes across something that doesn't belong here? He casts it out, right? He gets rid of it. Uh, it look at uh, when people come up and came, people came up to him and were like, Jesus, there's thousands of hungry people. What do we do? Here, take some fish, take some bread, feed all of them. Right? Jesus, this man is blind. Not anymore, I've healed him. 
Jesus, this man has a demon. Not anymore, I've cast it out. Jesus, this man is sick. Not anymore, I've healed him. Right? Even Satan, sin, and death are three biggest enemies since the very beginning. Jesus defeated those things. Right? Uh, our sins have been paid for, and we have been justified by the blood of Christ. Death is no longer an enemy for us anymore because we have the promise of the resurrection. Right? Satan holds no power over us anymore because he's been defeated in Christ's death and his resurrection. Right? He casts out the things that don't belong here. The king is here, and he is bringing the kingdom. He is rescuing and redeeming creation. Heaven is coming to earth. He's building his kingdom here, and here's the kicker. He's not going to do it alone. Right? If you look at John 14, 12, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. So whoever believes in me, whoever believes that I am the king, not just of Israel, but of all creation, right? Whoever believes that I am bringing God's kingdom to earth, whoever believes uh, in the work that I am doing to bring good news to the poor, to set the captives free, to heal those who are hurting or broken, to give liberty to the oppressed and to the enslaved, uh, to be a light in the dark, to love those who are never loved. <coughs> Whoever believes in what I am doing, you will do the works that I do. He's very clear here. Right? You will love the least of these. You will take care of the sick, of the poor, and of the oppressed. You will work to give freedom to those who are enslaved. You will be my hands and feet. You will help to bring heaven to earth to build my kingdom here. That is what he is saying. So this, that is the gospel that was so painfully obvious to Kathleen. This is the gospel that I understood, but that Kathleen, she was out there experiencing it. She was living it. She knew it here. Right? And those words just rang in my ear. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Right? Isn't that what Jesus would be doing? If he were here right now, wouldn't he be out there with Kyle, Tex, and Amy right now? Wouldn't he have bought them lunch and then gone and sat and had lunch with them and talked with them and loved them? Isn't that exactly where he would be? And it hit me. And it hit me really hard. My initial reaction to my beautiful wife living out the gospel right before my eyes was fear and anger. And just, it really hurt my stomach when I realize that then and still kind of hurts now a little bit um and why was that my reaction what was wrong with me that i would respond to the gospel living out in front of me with fear and anger right why wasn't i out there looking for kyle tex and amy so i can buy them lunch so i can go talk to them and get to know them and love them why wasn't i out there serving and loving the least of these the way that jesus has asked us has commanded us to um a couple years ago, I volunteered, it was around the same time, a few years ago, I volunteered uh, to work at a special needs camp called Camp Blessing. And by volunteered, I mean I was peer pressured by Mike Skinner. Uh, he practically forced me. But no, he told me, he's like, Adam, you've got to do it. It's going to be the most amazing experience of your life. Trust me, uh, it'll change you forever. Uh, please, please, please. And so after him doing that for a long time, I was finally, yes, I'll do it, shut up. Um, and so eventually I signed up and, um, going in, 
I was absolutely terrified of working at the special needs camp. I had never uh, worked with anyone with special needs before. I didn't really know anyone with special needs at the time. And so I uh, was just kind of afraid. I didn't know what to expect. And honestly, I didn't know how to act around them. I didn't know how to compose myself. And, uh, and so I'm kind of on the way up there venting all these fears to Mike. And Mike is trying his best to calm me down. Um, and finally, he's like, dude, 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 relax. A, right when we get there, they're going to do a day-long training. They're going to teach you everything you need to know. So don't worry about that. Um, he's like, and plus, plus, they're just kids, right? Just go in there and love them and have a good time, and you're going to be fine. And so I was like, you're right. They are just kids. Um, I'll just go in there. We'll have a blast, and it doesn't matter who you are or whatever. Fun is fun, right? Uh, and so that's going to be fine. And so he was right. As soon as we got there, uh, we went to this day-long training, and it was intense. Uh, and I learned that we were going to be paired up one-on-one with a camper, and that we were literally going to do everything with that camper. Everything, right? You wake up, or you wake up when they wake up, right? You brush your teeth when they brush their teeth. You eat when they eat. And a lot of times you have to help them with those different things. You have to help them with brushing their teeth, with getting their clothes on, with going to the bathroom, with bathing, with feeding, all those different things. You were with them 24-7. You didn't go to bed until they went to bed, right? And so I'm learning all this, and it's just becoming overwhelming. Um, but, you know, everyone there seems to be having a good time and comfortable. So I'm like, all right, this is my first time. Once we get going, it's going to be fine. Um, and so then the time came for us to be assigned our campers by Laura, the camp director. And so she went around to everyone and was handing out uh, these sheets of paper that were kind of like profiles um, of all the different campers. And so whatever sheet of paper you got, that was your camper. And you could learn all these things about him or her before they showed up. And so... Uh, Laura comes around and she hands me my camper's profile. And so I look at it and I'm, like, and I'm scanning the paper. And I'm like, okay, his name's Jeff. Okay. Uh, he has cerebral palsy. Okay. He's 26 years old. All right. Wait, tw- 26? That was older than me, right? Uh, I'm 27 now, but at the time I was like 22 or something or 23. And like that was way older than I was. And so I'm like, I started freaking out. That's not a kid at all. That's a full grown man. Uh, and I thought, wait a minute, Adam. This is a mistake, obviously, right? There's no way he's 26. So I went up to Laura, the camp director, and I was like, hi, I see here I got Jeff. Um, she's like, oh, yeah, Jeff, he's the best. You're going to love Jeff. Cool, cool. Um, so <clears throat> it says here that he's 26, um, but that's a mistake, right? He's, he's six or two, maybe. I don't know, but he's not 26, right? And, uh, uh, and she's like, no, 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 he's 26, but you're going to love him. He's, he's everyone's favorite. Trust me, you're lucky you got Jeff. So needless to say, I'm freaking out even more now because my camper is a 26-year-old man. Uh, that's who I was going to be shadowing or partnered with the whole week. So the next morning, the campers arrived, and I was freaking out. I was losing my mind and nervous. Um, I have enough trouble taking care of myself. It's honestly a struggle. Um, I don't know how I do it. Uh, and I had no idea how I was going to pull this off. And I can honestly say... That first day with Jeff was one of the most exhausting days of my entire life. Uh, So I found out a few things about Jeff, um, mostly that he just loved to push me way outside of my comfort zone, further than I've ever been pushed before. So a few things. Number one, uh, Jeff absolutely loved to give hugs. And I mean, he loved to give hugs, okay? Uh, If he didn't get a hug every 10 minutes he would get legitimately upset uh, and, like, just shut down. And so uh, for those who know me, uh, I'm not the most touchy person on the planet. 
Um, I, one hug is plenty, okay? We don't need to hug more than that. Uh, but Jeff was just constantly asking for hugs. Uh, not only that, but Jeff absolutely loved to be the center of attention. He loved to be the center of attention, primarily by breaking out into spontaneous song and dance routines in front of large groups of people. Uh, that was his favorite way of being the, the center of attention. I am not the biggest fan of being the center of attention. Um, also, I am a terrible singer, and I don't need everybody else to hear me uh, sing terribly, right? I already feel self-conscious enough about it, but having to sing in front of large groups of people, that's absolutely terrifying. Uh, but there we were, doing it multiple times a day. Um, but not only that, Jeff absolutely loves doing just physical activities. He always wanted to be doing something. It seemed to me, at least at the time, that every other camper had a designated uh, nap time. Uh, not Jeff. No, Jeff was 26. He didn't take naps. Uh, I wanted to take a nap, but he didn't want to take a nap at all. So we were always doing something. And since he had cerebral palsy, he was in a wheelchair. Um, and the camp at the time was renting these campgrounds. So these campgrounds were not designed for special needs, uh, for people with special needs. And so I'm pushing his wheelchair over these like hilly, hilly grass areas that just are super bumpy and hard to push up and uh, and it was exhausting. And anytime we wanted to do a physical activity, I would have to physically lift him up out of his chair. He's 26, did I tell you that? Uh, I had to lift him up out of his chair and like hold him up and like do whatever the physical activity was that he wanted to do. And so uh, at the end of that first day, I was, I was gone. I was absolutely exhausted. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, I was just spent. Um, my muscles hurt so bad. I had given no less than 100 hugs that day. I had broken out in at least 10 spontaneous song and dance numbers. Uh, and uh, I had not had a single second of alone time. Not one. And to close out every night at Camp Blessing, the entire camp gathers together in this like main worship hall. And uh, we all just sing songs and relax a little bit. And they show like a slideshow of the day, like of all the pictures that were taken of the day. Um, and then we pray and then we go to bed. And so I was really looking forward to that time because I knew that we could just go in there and I could sit on the ground next to Jeff and relax finally. And I could just let the music wash over me and I, uh, can maybe squeeze in a quick nap, you know, if nobody was looking, uh, not really, uh, maybe. Um, but, and then, uh, you know, we pray and then I get to go to bed and that just sounded amazing to me. And of course, uh, that's not how it happened at all. Not even close. As soon as we walk in, and as soon as the music starts playing, Jeff turns to me and goes, Adam, can we go up to the very front and dance? <laughs> Every bone in my body wanted to say, absolutely not. Were you crazy? Uh, but I said, yes, Jeff, of course, we can go to the front and dance. And so I, I wheeled Jeff up to the front, and I pick him up. <laughs> And we start dancing to the music, right? And, and I'm in so much pain, but we're dancing, we're going for it. And uh, I, something happened in that moment that I've told the story a lot of times, many times. And every time I tell it, uh, I can never quite capture it, um, the way that it actually happened. But again, like the other dozen times I've told the story, I'm gonna try my best right now to recapture kind of what happened. Um, so there was Jeff and I, and we were dancing at the very front, and we were going nuts. And Jeff was dancing like he was at a rave, right? Like just, like just going for it, like just flailing. Um, and I looked to my left, 
and there was a little girl with her uh, with her counselor, and they were both just jumping up and down, throwing their fists in the air, and they were singing as loud as they possibly could. And then I looked behind me at the rest of the camp, and I'm not exaggerating at all when I tell you that every single person in that room, campers, counselors, camp directors, nurses, everyone in that room, they were all dancing like they had just lost their minds, right? And everyone was singing as loud as they possibly could. And in that moment, no one was worried about looking cool, right? No one was worried about whether people could hear them sing or not. Um, there was no such thing in that moment as special needs people or typical people, right? Everyone had everything in common in that moment, and everyone was doing the same thing, right? Uh, they were all worshiping their king. And the reality of what was happening just flooded my heart. And I realized I am experiencing heaven right now. And I mean that literally, not figuratively. I was thinking to myself, this, this is what God's kingdom looks like, right? I, uh, I was in heaven, and I must have looked absolutely ridiculous because you know that, uh, that feeling that you sometimes get when you're like in an overwhelming situation uh, and it like kind of starts in your innermost, innermost being right here and it kind of explodes out to the rest of your body and like the hair on your arm stands up and on the back of your neck stands up and you start feeling all tingly and you just become overwhelmed with emotions. Has anybody ever had that before? That happened to me in that moment uh, and then I just started sobbing uncontrollably right there on the spot and I must have looked insane and it must have looked weird. Like if somebody just walked in the room and saw what was happening, like I'm sitting there holding Jeff and we're dancing while I'm crying uncontrollably, it must have looked insane. Uh, but to be completely honest, I really didn't care. I cannot tell you how much I didn't care in that moment, how insane I looked. Um, I was in heaven right then. And in the back of my mind, I knew that eventually the songs would end. And I knew that eventually the week would end and we'd have to all go back to the real world where um, those with special needs are sometimes feared. Um, where people don't really know how to act around them or how to love them, so a lot of times they just ignore them. Um, and I know that because that was me just a few hours prior to that, right? Um, but in that moment, everyone was loved. In that moment, no one was looked down upon or feared. No one was ignored. We were all just basking in the love of Christ. And because of that experience, uh, because of that time spent with what the world would consider to be some of the least of these, right? I left with a deeper knowledge of the gospel. Because before that week, I understood um, that as Christians, we are called to be the hands and feet of Christ, right? Like, I understood that. I understood that we are called to work to build God's kingdom here. I got that. But now I had experienced God's kingdom firsthand. Right? I had experienced it for myself. Uh, so now I knew what I was working for. Now I knew what I was building. Right? In 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 28, 
Paul says, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, uh, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And so here is something that I believe to be absolutely true. It is near impossible for you to know the gospel, to know what it is, until the least of these teach it to you. I'm going to say that again. Um, it is near impossible for you to know what the gospel is until the least of these teach it to you. So in order for me not to only just understand the gospel, uh, but to know it and to experience it, I have to leave the nice building. I have to leave my fancy degree on the wall. I have to leave all my books on the bookshelf. And I have to go to a place where the least of these can teach me the gospel. Right? Uh, so that I might become a student of the foolishness of God. And so my prayer and my hope for all of us here, myself included, um, is that we aren't just satisfied with simply understanding the gospel, um, but that we want to know it, that we want to experience it for ourselves. Um, and I pray that we make a habit of loving and serving the least of these, the broken, the hurting, the marginalized, the oppressed, so that we might all become students of the foolishness of God. And then one day when you're out there and you are loving recklessly and you're serving um, and you're sacrificing and someone comes up to you and says, why is it that you're doing this? Why is it that you do what you do? You can just look at them and say, isn't this what we're supposed to be doing? Let me pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I am just so thankful to be back home, um, uh, to be in the place where I first came to know you, be in the place where I first came to know your love, um, and to be in the place where I first came to know your love for the least of these, for the broken, the hurting. God, and so I pray for all of us here. Um, that we just leave with a desire to not just know not just know the gospel, not just to understand the gospel, but to go out there and experience it for ourselves. To learn what your kingdom looks like. To experience heaven. To be your hands and feet. To push back the darkness. To love those that are not loved. God, I pray that you just instill that desire in all of our hearts. God, we love you. Soon we pray. Amen. Amen.